from Romans. A reading from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11 to the end. An urgent appeal. Besides this, you know what time it is. How it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us live honourably as in the day, not revelling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarrelling and jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Matthew chapter 24, reading from verse 36. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. And Jesus, Saviour and Christ, may I now speak in your name such that your people hear you and you alone. In your precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Advent, from the Latin adventus, coming, meaning coming. And it's a period of expectant waiting 
and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus Christ. We spend the period from now until Christmas awaiting the coming of the baby Jesus. Some of you will also know it's the beginning of the liturgical year, the church year, as far as the church calendar is concerned. It marks the new year for the Christian church in a similar way to the Jewish new year. And this is highly appropriate, of course, because it's his story. His story is history. We still mark our years before Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. It's his story. History is about Jesus and his coming on earth. But Advent also points to another coming, the second coming. In the second, just before the portion of the gospel we read, Jesus speaks of the coming of the Son of Man. Immediately after the suffering of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. We just sung about that. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found. You just literally sung about his second coming. But there's another song that in recent years we sung about. It's a worship song. We, I think we did one Christmas, nine lessons. Um, and we've hardly heard, it, hardly heard it since. And I could hardly find it on YouTube either. But it has a chorus that goes like this. Once we waited for you as a baby, now we're longing for your return. When we hear the trumpet call, every earthly rule must fall and hail you, King of Kings. It's a great song, a lovely tune, which captures the idea of waiting for the Christ child, but also awaiting for the trumpet call of the second coming. But is that true, though? Is that true of our hearts? True of our desire? Are we really longing for the coming of Jesus this Advent Sunday? You see, it poses lots of questions. What if we're not one of the elect to be swept up to the heavens? What if we're the left behind? Christians of a certain age will remember that series of novels, and I believe they were actually made into some films as well, depicting the elect taken up to join Jesus in the air, similarly to what we heard in the gospel reading. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing, knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. And the Left Behind books, I remember, I've, I've only seen the trailer to the film. I've never seen the film or 
felt the desire to read the book somehow. But anyway, some of you have read it, I'm sure. But it has um, imagines two people in a cockpit of a commercial airliner and one disappears. You can imagine the reaction. <laughs> and in different situations like that. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken. One will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. It's an awesome picture. Don't get me on raptures and all that sort of thing. Let's put that to one side. Because I think there's a more basic question to consider. If Jesus was to walk in here today, would you be pleased to see him? If he came through those doors right now, would you be pleased to see him? Would you welcome him with a good conscience, knowing that in the words of our epistle reading, we have been those living honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy, not indeed in sin. Can we truly describe ourselves as those who've put on the Lord Jesus and made no provision for the flesh to desire, to gratify its desires. In other words, are we people living the faith we profess? Would you, would I, truly want to give an account to Jesus of our faith and our life today? You see, he himself poses this question. In Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Intriguingly, when Jesus asked this question, he was talking to the disciples about the importance of prayer and not losing heart. It's in that section, after the story about the woman who was knocking on the door of the judge, wanting justice done, And in the end he gives in because he says she'll wear him out. Jesus was talking about the importance of prayer and not losing heart. And if we are indeed living in the last days before Jesus' return, we need to take this on board urgently. We are living in tumultuous times. And as Christians, we will be tempted to lose heart, give up in the face of a world that for the most part rejects the message of the gospel and opposes those who believe it. We're going to see more and more of truths other than the Bibles in the world masquerading as the real truth. But one way not to lose heart is to keep alive the hope of the return of Jesus. It's not if, but when. We're simply waiting for him to come back. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour, but about that day and hour no one knows. Neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And I would counsel against ever trying to think that this is the time 
You know, if you were in the middle of the First World War, you would have said Armageddon is round the corner. If you were in the middle of the Second World War, you would say Armageddon is round the corner. If you were in the Cold War with the Bay of Pigs affair and the world on the brink of nuclear war, as it seems then in 1962, you might have thought that was the end of the world coming. If you're a Christian in Ukraine, you might have thought that it's the end of the world when Russia invaded. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. And that should be good enough for us, because that's what Jesus teaches us. For some, and there are lots of groups and sects, it may not be as soon as they would like it to happen. But that emphasizes why Jesus tells us, as his disciples, to keep on praying and believing whatever is going on in the world. Whatever the response to our prayers, we may have prayed and prayed and prayed and not received the answers. But he says, keep on praying. Keep on praying, whatever the circumstances of your life. All we're called to hold on to is the fact that Jesus is coming and will come again. And sometimes when people get worked up about prophecies in Revelation and other books of the Bible and try to match these to current affairs, I usually point out there is one apocalypse none of us will miss. Our own demise. The consequence of our impending individual death. Plus or minus 70, 80, 90 years. That's all we have from the moment we're born. The consequences of our own impending death and day of accounting before the Father should be taken as seriously as the second coming of Christ. Because for us, as individuals, it amounts to the same. We're standing before God in judgment. And it should give us as much urgency for personal transformation as waiting for him to come on clouds of glory. We do not know the hour of our death. God forbid it's today for any of us or tomorrow. But it's coming. We do not know the hour of the coming of the Son of Man. It could be this afternoon. But it may be in a hundred years' time. We need to be as ready for one, which is the only inevitable thing in life, as we are ready for the other. But what you can ask me is, what should motivate me to be ready by being transformed? What should make us want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires? Should it be our fear of judgment, our fear of eternal punishment, fear of being found wanting and cast out when Jesus returns or when we die and stand before him? I think it's much more fundamental than that. You see, why would you want to die and go to heaven to be with Jesus? That's a Christian hope. That's part of the benefit of salvation. Why 
Would you want to die and go to heaven to be with Jesus? Why would you want to be with your father forever if now in this life you don't want to know him? You don't want to be under his sovereignty. You want just to fit him in on a Sunday morning and that's it. If we're not longing for Jesus now, if we're not longing for his presence, not longing to be lost in worship of him, and don't say it goes on too long, they worship in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. <laughs> don't say our worship is ever too long because do you want to be in heaven? <laughs> it goes on forever. So why should we be longing for his return? Surely it only makes sense to long for his return if we want to live with him, to live in him, and to live under him, under his lordship now. You see, the context from which St. Paul writes to the Romans, our first reading today, is important. He writes from the perspective of one who knows Jesus, is moving in his heavenly in his heavenly inheritance because Paul was doing the things Jesus did. And Paul was also living in the joy, peace, and love of God's presence within him even when outwardly things were going very badly for him. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. He was stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was flogged. He went through every persecution known to man natural as well as caused by human beings but he still had within him the peace the joy and the love of God's presence for Paul Jesus was indeed Lord but Lord of his life out of relationship out of love out of gratitude that he, a sinner, Saul, had received wonderful grace, forgiveness, and love, and been invited to be a co-heir with Jesus in the heavenly places. That's what we were singing about earlier. This is amazing grace. Your sins are forgiven. You don't need to live under guilt, shame, over that thing that happened in your childhood that abuse, whatever it is, because God can break the chains, as we heard earlier. Paul was deeply in love with Jesus, who revealed the nature of the God he served. And when he makes his appeal to us to put on Jesus, it's just after he's exhorted the Roman Christians, the Christians in Rome he was writing to, to love above all else. And it's out of their love for Jesus that they expected to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light and to live honorably as befitting those who have Jesus within them. The armor of light that will protect you and me from evil is the life of love spelt out by Jesus, both by his teaching and by his example. So love is the key. You can only long for Jesus' return if you love him so much now that you're willing to give your life for him. You're willing to serve him now with all at your disposal. 
Indeed, your longing for his return will be in proportion to your love for him now. A love that should be manifest in how we think, how we speak, how we act towards others. You see, Advent Sunday asks of us this. How much do we love Jesus, the coming King? Are we willing to demonstrate that love through the way we live our lives at work, at school, at university, within the golf club circle, within our friendship circle? Is our love for Jesus evident in the way we treat others? John Wimber reminds us that the word worship in its simplest form means to serve. And the question he asks is, who are you going to serve? As you live out your life, who are you going to serve? In the hundreds of little choices you make every day, who are you choosing to serve? Every step you take, every breath of every day, you're making the choice whether you realize it or not. You got up this morning and started making these choices. And I'm glad you made the choice to come to church today. But before you came, maybe you had to make the choice. Will I be kind to my husband or my wife or my child or my sister or my brother or my neighbor and thereby give my worship to God? Or will I consider myself the most important person in the exchanges and therefore worship myself? Will I joyfully give in to inconvenience when it's required as an act of worship? Or will I demand my place and worship myself? Will I love even when the other seems unlovable and let that be an act of worship? Or will I amen the spirit of this world and make my life's pursuit that of reaching my full potential? If we worship Jesus, serving him, then our every act and thought has meaning. Acts of kindness are not just little niceties, they become acts of worship. Bagging food for the poor because I was hungry and you gave me food is worship. Taking a refugee in is worship. Every time you make the decision to walk in truth and humility, every time you put someone else ahead of you, your comfort, your convenience, every time you decide to pray for someone who has hurt or offended you instead of hating them, is an act of worship. Whatever I do for the least of these, my brethren, I'm doing for Jesus. So if my marriage is difficult, or my boss, my manager is impossible, or my parents are unreasonable, that's okay. Because I can still be a good wife, a good husband, a good employee, or a good child if I'm actually living out my life before God and for his approval and pleasure, rather than looking for satisfaction in the here and now. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. My wife would tell you, no, it's not. He's still got a long, long way to go. 
But there is no alternative. We all need to grow to be like Jesus. Today is also our annual gift day. And annual Advent Sunday on our annual gift day also calls us to re-examine our priorities. If we say we love God above all else, is that evident from the way we spend the resources of time, money, talents he's put at our disposal? I thank you, everyone who gives of their time, talents and money to serve the ministry in this place. But when we say and listen to that command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and might. Where does your giving of time, talents and money to God's work through the ministry of the church rank? you spend far more on your holidays, your hobbies, your pleasures than on your committed giving to your place of worship. The Old Testament minimum for giving was a tenth of your income but Jesus actually turned around and attacked the Pharisees for becoming religious, tithing their mints, their everything. In fact, the New Testament commands us to place everything at God's disposal, trusting him to provide for our needs. And of course the book of Malachi gives us the only instance where we are called to put God to the test. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house and thus put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you. And overflowing blessing. We've had testimonies here from Steve Hale and others before of how they've stepped out in faith and God has blessed. Put me to the test, he says. But don't give out of compulsion. Give because you love God and want to thank him for his goodness to you. You know, God reminded me earlier as I was sitting there. It's amazing how quickly you forget I had to go to hospital earlier this year in pain I've never experienced in my life before. And it just reminded me who brought you out of that? Because it wasn't the doctors. They did all the tests, they couldn't find, but it went. And I know it was his goodness. Give because you love the Lord and want to thank him for his goodness to you. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As the church begins its new year today, Advent Sunday, are you awake, brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you living such that if you were to face death today or tomorrow, your actions and your life would show that you were loving God and living as one longing for Jesus? Advent is a wake-up call to stay ready for the second coming of Christ Jesus. Do our lives 
indicate that we love Jesus so much that we're giving our life, our everything for Jesus. Day by day by day. As God's will reminds us. It's not easy, saints. I put up my hand. I find it incredibly hard to live fully for Jesus. But the reality is we will only truly be longing for his return when we're longing to put his will and others ahead of ourselves day by day by day. I'm now going to ask uh, Pippa to come forward as we, be, as we pray. Maybe the group are going to come forward, I don't know. But we're just going to have that last slide, Dave. We're going to use this as a vehicle for, for prayer. Once we waited for you as a baby, now we're longing for your return. When we hear the trumpet call, every earthly rule must fall and hail you, King of Kings. If you know the tune of the chorus, please join in and sing with us. We waited for you as a baby. Now we're longing for your return. When we hear the trumpet call, every earthly rule must fall and hail you. Once we waited for you as a baby, now we're longing for your return. When we hear the trumpet call, every earthly rule must fall and hail you. Yes, Lord, we hate.